Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Mound. I'm Matt Sossler, and I'm joined by Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma. It's been a pretty quiet week in the world of baseball. However, quiet still means that there is a lot to talk about. Let's start off with a very notable move over the course of free agency that took place over the past week. Charlie Morton signing with the Atlanta Braves. Guys, let's get an opening opinion on this signing. Max, why don't you lead us off here? Yeah, I think this is great for the Braves, a team that has struggled mightily with pitching depth in the past season. They'll be getting Soroka back. They just added Drew Smiley uh, alongside with my- Max Fried, who was fantastic this year, a top five uh, pitcher in the National League this year. I like the move of Morton. One, it's very cool to bring him back after coming up with the Braves, but two, a veteran pitcher who still has really good stuff. I know he struggled in a small sample size in the regular season this year, the ERA north of 4-7, but he was very good in the postseason, still has the high spin rate, breaking ball, and fastball, and has put up fantastic numbers in years prior was a top three Cy Young guy in 2019 too again the veteran presence and the good stuff will bring some pitching depth and a guy who you should be confident in winning with especially with the Braves offense every fifth day or so whenever they go with him so I like this move a lot it is a little bit more on the pricey side but for a one-year rental and a guy who was considering retiring I think this is a good team-friendly deal for the Braves because they got one of their middle uh, rotation pitchers, and it's a good deal for Charlie Morton because he gets a good margin to stay in the game and play for a playoff team and get another shot at the second ring. Absolutely. I agree with you, Max. You make a lot of good points. And, you know, Charlie Morton is just a couple seasons removed. Um, I mean, you take a look at what he's done the past, uh, since 2017, the past four years 14 wins, 15 wins, 16 wins, and then. You know, we all know this season isn't an accurate representation of the type of players that people are. And, you know, he still wasn't terrible this season. He helped the Rays down the stretch as they made that World Series run um, in the American League Championship. And I think it's a great move for the Braves. You mentioned it, Max. Um, They've struggled with pitching depth, and I certainly think he's going to help out. Um, He's put together a really nice career, and as you said, I think it's nice that he started his career with them back in 08, and it's all coming full circle, and hopefully he can get a, another ring to add to his legacy. And being real, too, the Braves were one pitcher away, arguably, from going to the World Series. Now, Bryce Wilson pitched his heart out uh, for them, and a guy who they didn't even probably expect to be starting a big playoff game, especially in the National League Championship Series. Remember, they had the Soroka injury. Uh, Felix Hernandez opted out because of COVID-19 and so forth. Cole Hamels was hurt, too. This was a team that was ridiculed from injuries and just tough breaks in their starting rotation. So the fact that they, if they could even bring back Ozuna, that'd be great, obviously. But the fact that they're able to uh, fill in this hole in their rotation and still have an incredibly dynamic offense makes them a huge threat in the National League East. And it's cool, or I shouldn't say cool, but it's just good to see the Braves making these two moves with Smiley and Morton, knowing the fact that the Mets are breathing right underneath them. And then you also have a team uh, like the Nationals and the Phillies too, who are very good as well and seem to be wanting to compete. And then you have the Marlins who made the playoffs last year. I still think they're a couple years away in a 162 game length season, but it's a tough decision, a division, excuse me, and the Braves are making the moves they need to make. I think it's good. I think it's a good move for both ends. Yeah, Max, you made a good point mentioning it on a divisional level. I think that this division just got so much better. I think, as you said, Atlanta has been that one key pitching piece away from possibly making it to the World Series. We saw, you know, you take the Dodgers seven games, Charlie Morton's on that team. I don't even think that series goes seven. I think Morton's able to win his opening start in that set. 
and therefore sends Atlanta possibly to the World Series if he starts in a game that they're able to win it in. But speaking of that championship series in seven games, the team that they went against, the LA Dodgers, you know, they're reloading too. They're showing no signs of slowing down. They have a nice young core, and they've been rumored, as we talked about earlier on the show, earlier in the season, that they're linked to key guys such as Nolan Arenado. Where do you think this move, or how do you think this move relates to what the Dodgers are doing and how do you think it'll keep these two teams atop the entire National League? Yeah, and you know, I think I said this last week. If the Dodgers are able to get Nolan Arenado, you have Arenado, who's been a perennial MVP candidate. Corey Seager, who was an MVP, MVP finalist back in 2016 when Chris Bryant won it. You got Kershaw, who won it in 14. Bellinger in 19. Mookie in 18 was a finalist this year as well. They would be uh, loaded, to say the least. I think it might be the best team on paper, at least since the turn of the century. Now, the interesting thing about Nolan Arenado is, of course, signed the huge extension in which he would have stayed in Colorado. If he does get traded, he does have a player opt-out. So the length of that contract, you may, we don't really know how long that's going to be, depending on what Arenado's decision is. But he is from California, from that area. I think he would like to play for the Dodgers, especially given the fact that he has vocally gone out and talked about his frustrations of not being able to make it deep into the playoffs. The Rockies have made it twice, lost in the wildcard game back in 2017, then got swept in the division series in 18. This guy wants playoff baseball. He plays off of energy, and I think he definitely would play well in the postseason if he got more opportunities. So I think the Dodgers, if you're going into this, one, you know you have the money to extend him if he does opt out, and also to afford the contract he has currently. But two, there's a lot going into the fact that they think that they could probably extend him as well. If they do get Arenado, I think it's unlikely that they extend Corey Seager, but either way, if they get Nolan Arenado to replace Justin Turner, who's going to be 37 next year, it will be unbelievable. Now, do they have enough to send him back or to send enough prospects back? I don't know. But what they do have the advantage on is they can afford it. And that might be enough to bring him over to Los Angeles. But we'll see. Again, it's rumors. And Arenado's been in rumors for the last couple of off seasons. But all I'll say is, like, that's a scary team. A team we haven't seen maybe since the late 90s Yankees, if they're able to grab Nolan Arenado. You make a lot of good points, Max. I mean, if they were to add Arenado, does any other National League team have a chance? I mean, you were saying, Matt, to add Charlie Moore, and that would certainly help, right? But if that Dodgers team is healthy with Nolan Arenado in the heart of that lineup, I don't really think that there's a team that has a chance. And we all know in baseball anything can happen, but as you said, Max, that lineup would just be unbelievable it would be almost impossible to stop and you know I think that you're right about he's been saying that he needs pieces around him I think that it could be potentially a good fit but at the same time with a player like that the Rockies are going to want a lot in return as you said and I I think that they do have the pieces to do that and it's more if they're willing and they certainly don't have to we exactly. saw they, do want, they need to, they need to. <laughs> yeah no, you're right, and we saw they were able to win the World Series without him this year, but if you add Arenado, you're set up for, I mean, how many years to come? They, that if would be a scary If he were not to team. opt out, um, if he were not to opt out, I'm pulling up his contract status right now, he would be a free agent through 2026, so they would have him for a long time. But the question I pose to both of you guys is, you have the opportunity to bring Justin Turner back on a cheaper deal who's been 
one of the faces of that franchise is, or of that franchise for a very long time now. He's the heart and soul of that team, arguably. You could bring him back to finish his career as a Dodger for definitely a cheaper price and still probably get a good uh, performance from him at third base. Would that be more worth it? Or do you think it'd be more worth it to you know break the bank, break out the checkbook, and bring over Nolan Arenado, the perennial All-Star? Well, like you said, Max, I think it's a very difficult situation especially not only on the field but off the field as well justin turner a longtime dodger has been the heart and soul of that baseball club and i don't know because they need to think do they want to keep justin turner get him for a cheap price and then hope that they're still in the sweet picks for arenado over the next couple of years or if the rockies are going to get aggressive with him do the, are the Dodgers sure that they want to take themselves out of the equation right now? Because if they keep Justin Turner, they might lose on their opportunity. And that might sacrifice, I don't know, another possible two or three rings for this team as opposed to an additional ring that they might get with Turner over the next couple of years. I mean, Turner's a good ball player. And I think that he can hold the fort down at third base. But it's also... You know, I've heard many comparisons to this team, but this team has a chance to be one of the best in the history of the game. And it's a tough move because it's a splash they're going to have to make. They're going to have to think about it, and they're going to have to think about how the contracts are all going to line up because the thing that would hurt them badly is if they get Arenado, then they're going to be very heavy in terms of their payroll. They're going to have probably, if not the highest payroll, one of the highest payrolls in the entire league. And... What they need to think about is, are they going to be able to afford big-time free agents while they're still paying these guys off? Because it's the old adage and decision that you have to make. Would you rather be okay for the next 10, 15 years, or would you rather be great for the next five and then at the bottom of the pile for the foreseeable future after that? So that's a decision that the Dodgers and all their staff is going to have to make in order to see what moves are the right moves for the team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking at their payroll right now. Uh, currently, with the players that have left a free agency as of now, like Justin Turner and so forth, is at about $189 million. The luxury tax threshold, I believe, is at 210 this year. So if they were to pick up Arenado's deal and not make a single other move after that, Arenado's deal is about $35 million, so they would be over that luxury tax threshold. But I think the Dodgers are willing to pay that if they want to. It's just a question, too. I think it's fair to assume, not assume, but I think there's a good chance Arenado opts out of his deal after 2021 because the Rockies, you know, while they put up good seasons in the past and have some good pieces in Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman and so forth, um, do, where is their future? Where are they going? And I don't know if Nolan Arenado wants to dedicate himself to that ball club through 2026 because maybe the Rockies decide to rebuild and you know aren't competing until 2025, 2026 towards the end of Arenado's prime or potentially towards the end of his career even too versus opting out knowing that the Dodgers potentially will give you the same amount of money if not more and going to a team that's going to win now and give you a chance for a ring right now. Andrew Friedman, the GM of the Dodgers, could also look at this from the aspect of betting on the fact that Arenado will opt out and that he can grab him a free agency without having to trade any as- or assets uh, in their farm system. But uh, who knows? You know, it- It's a very tough decision, and we're seeing names flying all over the radar. Chris Bryant to Francisco Lindor, obviously Nolan Ar- Arenado now at this point. We don't know what's going to happen. And when names of this 
caliber are being shopped around. It's incredibly difficult to trade them because one, you know, not only does it impact the team on the field, you know, a guy like Francisco Lindor or Nolan Arenado, also, they bring huge marketing value to an organization as well and to a city. So Arenado is going to be tough to acquire. I think I think the Rockies will be asking a lot for him, especially since he does have somewhat some control if you exclude the opt-out. It's definitely going to be harder than it looks, but what benefits the Dodgers is their ability to have uh, payroll flexibility. Yeah, I agree with what both of you said. And if I'm the Dodgers, honestly, I would stick with Justin Turner right now because he is a solid bat in that lineup. And I don't think that any team would say no to adding Nolan Arenado to their team. But as you both mentioned, with the payroll, is it worth it at this time? In my opinion, I don't think it's worth it. And like you said, Max, he's probably going to opt out or there's a good chance that he does opt out at that point anyway so I might go after him in free agency and I don't know I just think that they have a strong enough team to where they don't necessarily need to go out um, and trade for him and give up a lot of their top prospects which is likely what it would take to bring him to LA but it's definitely an interesting uh, decision that the Dodgers will certainly be talking about but at this time I just think that you you stick with what you have because Obviously, they won the World Series. They had a great season. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Yeah, like you said, Tommy, I think it'll be a very interesting move. And now moving things a little bit further east to Atlanta to go back to the Morton deal. Looking at their current rotation right now, they're slated to have Soroka, Freed, you mentioned Smiley, and now the addition of Morton. And... Looking at that rotation really, really quick, how do you think that stacks up compared to the rest of the National League? Where do you think it ranks? Top five, top ten? What are your guys' thoughts? I think it could be a borderline top five potentially. I mean, if you look at the other teams in that division, you obviously have the Nationals who have Scherzer, Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. Um, And then you have a team like the Dodgers as well who have a little bit more flexibility. Guys like uh, Urias in the back end, Dustin May, who is flip-flopping between bullpen and starting too. Uh, but no, I think the Braves definitely have one of the top uh, starting rotations in Major League Baseball. You got Soroka, who was electric in 2019 and All-Star. Max Freed, who was a top five Cy Young guy this year. And then Ian Anderson, who was incredible in a small sample size this season. Garnered, we do have to you know, assume that he'll probably get figured out a little bit here. But this guy was dominant. I don't think he gave up a single run uh, through his first few outings of the postseason. And then you add on a guy like Drew Smiley where his velocity's gone up and his strikeout rate was really, really good with the Giants this year in about 30 innings or so. And then in the back end, if you want, you have Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, a top prospect. I know they signed Tomlin as well. That's more of a, a depth option right there. But it's bolstered. And I think that's the big key for the Braves right here. They have options. They have veteran experience. A track record of guys who've stayed healthy for the most part, excluding Drew Smiley uh, and Mike and Soroka too. But that was an Achilles injury. I think that's as long as it doesn't have to do with the arm. I think that's way more encouraging. I don't think that should linger for him. Hopefully not, at least. But no, I, I definitely think they have one of the better rotations in Major League Baseball right now. And when you pair that with the best offense right next to the Dodgers last year in Major League Baseball, uh, you got a really good fiery combo right there. I agree, Max. I think that this rotation's around the top five, maybe maybe six or seven, but they're certainly right there, and they're very competitive. And, you know, they've been able to do it even without some of these uh, arms that they've added, like Charlie Moore. And so uh, I think that this is a huge 
um, step for the Braves. I think that they're in really good shape for this season. And, you know, they do have a pretty tough division there in the East with the Mets and the Phillies are on the rise as well. And even the Marlins, you know, it's hard to to tell um, in a 60-game season if they're really quite there yet. And, uh, you know, the Nationals, they, they were the World Series champions in 2019. Obviously, they fell off, but they're certainly right up there in their division in the National League as well. Um, and, you know, to to think about the other side with the offense, that's about as good as any team in the NL as well. So it's going to be a really great team heading into 2021. Yeah, and you I mean you bring up the Mets there too. You know, rumors about Trevor Bauer. If they're able to land Trevor Bauer, you have arguably two of the best pitchers on the planet, and Bauer and Degrom. Then you got Marcus Stroman coming back on the qualifying offer, and potentially uh, Noah Syndergaard too. So really, really good rotations in that division in the National League East with the Braves, with the Mets, especially since they could add on even more, and the Nationals who consistently have been top tier in their starting rotation for the last five years. Yeah, you guys made a lot of good points there. I think that, especially as you mentioned, guys like Ian Anderson, Josh Tomlin's got some World Series experience back with Cleveland. And then, you know, the one of the most intriguing of them all, if he can stay healthy, is the former Duluth Husky, Drew Smiley. So we'll see if he's able to buckle down and if this rotation can get that team over the hump. And speaking of... Getting over the hump, the Toronto Blue Jays again making the postseason last season. However, you know, it's not always that we talk about the happenings inside the Lions. We're going to step outside the Lions and go north of the border and talk about an iconic ballpark, the Rogers Center, uh, the Rogers Group, which owns the ballpark. Just mentioned today that they're considering the possibility of tearing down the park and replacing it with a smaller ballpark as well as some residences obviously not something you want to hear if you're a baseball fan Rogers Center an iconic ballpark what are some of your guys thoughts on this whole idea of getting rid of a ballpark arguably a little too soon yeah and you know it's interesting obviously they have a lot of seats and I know they're not selling out those seats every single night but there's so many historic moments in that stadium going from joe carter all the way to the jose bautista bat flip in game five of the 2015 american league division series Uh, not only that but it looks great on tv in my opinion especially on the limelight under the bright lights in the postseason i understand it but i mean what what more could you ask for in a way? You got the roof, you got the hotel in center field, which is such a nice little piece uh, to it, a nice big scoreboard, one of the biggest in Major League Baseball. They're able to adjust it and add in the dirt infield as well. They've made adjustments to it, and to me, it's a pretty viable ballpark, especially compared to some of the others like in Oakland and Tampa Bay. I know they need to get their own new stadiums too, but... I guess, you know, sometimes maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe the ticket sales are down. Maybe the concessions aren't working well. We don't really know. I'm sure we could put some more research into that. But it would disappoint me a little bit, just as much as it did with uh, Globe Life Park, I believe. It is. They, I get it mixed up with Field and Park because the new one is the opposite. But the Rangers Old Ballpark in Arlington, before they got their new, brand new, uh, one with the roof and everything, I loved. It was gorgeous. I thought it was one of the best stadiums in Major League Baseball, but... At the end of the day, they needed a roof out there because when it's 105 degrees and humid in the middle of July, it's pretty tough to play baseball out there. So they needed the roof. I wonder if there's something like that with Rogers Center as well. But if it does get banished and thrown off to the side and even demolished and they get a new stadium, I will be disappointed in a way because it will leave a lot of childhood memories behind for sure. 
Absolutely, Max. Matt, when you sent this to me today, I was so disappointed. The Rogers Center, it's one of my favorite ballparks. I went there a few years ago, and it's a great place to watch a game. And, um, you know, it was really like a revolutionary ballpark. It was the first stadium to have a retractable roof in any sport. Um, and it's you mentioned the hotel. There's so many cool things about it. And uh, as you said, Max, they've they've made improvements. They have the dirt infield now. And I think that um, you touched on it with attendance. I think that is a big problem. Um, I forget the exact capacity, but I'm looking right now at their attendance. And they are 22nd in Major League Baseball in terms of attendance. They average 21,600 fans per night. So that's not a great number. They would certainly want it. Uh, Out of 54,000, yeah. Yeah, so they are struggling attendance-wise, and I know as a Yankees fan, a lot of times when the Yankees come into town, those are the, the biggest attendance nights, right? And I've I've seen a lot of games where there's a lot of empty seats when the Yankees are there. And, you know, there's times in the postseason where a lot of fans come out. I think it's a really great fan base out there. But they just haven't been filling the ballpark. I like will I'm say sure something. They would like to, yeah. I am like so. I looked at the 2015 and 2016 numbers, and if I, I think 2016 is the best margin to look at, just because it's the year after their big division run uh, in 2015, and in 2016 they were a very good team as well. They were third in Major League Baseball in attendance with about 3.3 million. Actually, you rounded up almost to 3.4 million, and averaged 41,000 per game. So the more you think about it, I mean, maybe it's just the numbers are down because it's not the same product on the field. I don't quite know. I definitely think it does have to do with maybe they want the smaller stadium like Matt brought up because they know that if they have 54,000 seats in a stadium, they're not going to maximize that. Maybe the question is, is how many times are they going to sell out 52,000 seats? And if they had a stadium with 40,000, maybe they're selling out more, the stadium looks fuller and so forth. I think that might be the approach. But it's interesting to see. The fans will come if the team's good. Yeah, like you said, Max, the fans will come if the team's performing. But one thing I wanted to hit on is even though it's very likely that the new stadium will be built on the same footprint as the Rogers Center, that entire district right on the Gardner Expressway is the hot spot other than the Eaton Center in Toronto. You know, you got that, you got the CN Tower, and I believe it's a Scotiabank right now where the Raptors and the Maple Leafs play, all within walking distance of each other. It's a phenomenal district, and it'll be interesting to see how the construction of a new park of an enhanced complex you know sort of regenerates that area but as you said tommy if you're talking about aesthetics and max i think you hit on it too you know just looking up when the roof is open and seeing the cn tower just through the roof and you know in on the flip side being up on top of the cn tower and if the roof is open you know you can't see much in there you're in one of the tallest structures in north america but just to see inside and see everything you know the bases look like you know, little cotton balls and just that ecstatic, those aesthetics just make it a phenomenal park. And the other thing I wanted to hit on that could also make this move a little easier, or I shouldn't say move, make the demolition a little easier is that the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League recently moved to BMO Field, which is home to Toronto FC. So there's not that, you know, idea of keeping a second team in the park. And unfortunately now, uh, the idea of a multi-purpose stadium, if they were to 
get rid of the Rogers Center and if the Oakland Athletics were to continue their slow walk out of the Coliseum, that's the end of the day for multi-purpose stadiums, which was a big hit in the 90s. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that time has come. I think it was nice to see the high wave in the 90s of all those beautiful ballparks. But then with all that, you have turf that gets chewed up during the postseason when football comes back in play. As we see in the Coliseum, the immense foul territory is just something that is a pain to deal with. And then going back to the Rogers Center, you know, I toured there and went there in August. And it was way back in the day when the Buffalo Bills used to play a couple of games up in Toronto as a part of the Toronto series. And they were in the middle of a transition between getting uh, done from a Blue Jays game to getting set for, I believe they were set to play the Indianapolis Colts the next day. And you could see they stuck the goalpost literally right where home plate was. Ah. And that, that's never a good idea because you're talking about a spot on the field where contact occurs the most and you're digging a hole in the ground right beneath it. And which is never a good idea. And I think with the Argonauts leaving, it's interesting why they're also going the route of demolition instead of renovation. Another thing, too, that I was thinking about is if they do demolish Rogers Center and the Blue Jays need another place to play, you could probably find another place in Toronto. But if not, you got Buffalo. I mean, they've adopted the Blue Jays as their new home kind of in a way, too, with this 60-game season where uh, the city of Toronto did not allow the Blue Jays to play in Rogers Center um, just due to COVID-19 concerns and so forth. So... You know, maybe maybe seeing that they have another place to go maybe brought the idea, sparked the idea a little bit. Or if not, either way, maybe they were planning this the entire time. If they can't find a place to play in Toronto, they definitely should be able to have a place in Buffalo, assuming there's no minor league baseball being played. there, That could be an issue as well if the minor league season is going on at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point, Max. And I don't think that this would be considered, but I want to throw this out there. Do you think that there's any chance that they're thinking about permanently moving the team from Toronto to Buffalo? Um, I don't. You don't? I don't either, but it, it's interesting because I know that the community loved having them there. And, yeah, I mean, they, they the Bills are just fine there. So, like, I mean, they've proven that. But I, I think Toronto has still proven that they will sell tickets, as, as shown by the numbers that brought up earlier. When they're good, fans will show up. And I, I like having the aspect of a Canadian team in Major League Baseball. Uh, add some spark, brings the two countries together in a way. And the whole team is represented by Canada. In some ways, I love it. some ways, I hate it. I don't like it when the fans from Vancouver swarm T-Mobile Park when the Blue Jays come to Seattle. But it does create some flair uh, and some intense matchups, too. And I just like having a Canadian team. I don't see any reason to take them out, to be honest with you. I don't. You know, with the Expos, it made sense. Attendance was way down. Uh, unbelievable. Now, you could argue that that had to do more with the stadium uh, than the team. But the you know, the team, for the most part, besides the mid-late-ish 90s, was not very good. And fans didn't show up, so they decided to move them to Washington, D.C., of course. I think the Blue Jays will stay. I don't see. I don't think they have a viable reason to move them. Yeah, and yeah, I, I yeah, agree yeah. with you there. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I, I agree with you there, Max. I think that it's great for baseball to have a team in Canada. Um, and I think that at some point they would like to have, uh, you know, additional teams in Canada. I think they've thrown out Vancouver in the past as another 
uh, possible place. But, no, I agree with you there. Yeah, I agree. I think the Blue Jays, it's not a threat for them to move. Obviously, teams in Toronto are getting temporarily relocated due to the pandemic. You see the Blue Jays obviously playing last season in Toronto, and now at the start of this NBA season, the Raptors being forced down to Tampa. But I think the Blue Jays will stay in Toronto. I think they're, as you said, they're very passionate. They've gotten consistent fan base, even though they play in a large stadium. They're still, at least were able to get some good numbers when the team was good. And it's also, that gives Toronto an advantage. It's that they are the one city in Canada that hosts, yeah, they're the, that hosts three of the four major sports, obviously the NFL excluded. And that's the most in the entire country of Canada. And the other thing, as I mentioned earlier on the show, is that Toronto, where the Rogers Center is in town, makes it convenient, it's easy. Whereas Montreal, the Olympic Stadium, was completely out of town. Like, it was a very hard stadium to get to based on my research on Google Maps. And that is obviously not a recipe for success if you are looking to build a successful club financially but we'll see what happens i think obviously it would be a shame to see the rogers center go but i think that whatever they have in mind assuming they stay on the same footprint and they're able to keep that all in shape i think it can only vote out well for the toronto blue jays and for the city of toronto and with that that's going to wrap up this edition of On the Mound for Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma. I'm Matt Sossler. We hope you guys all enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll be back next week with another edition of On the Mound as we approach the winter meetings. We'll catch you guys next time.